Hello and welcome to our podcast recorded live from the International Conference on Risk, Reward and Reputation Management Issues for Senior Executives and Founders here in London. I'm Harriet Riddick, an associate at CM Murray, and I'm joined here now by our expert speakers on the first panel of the day on the topic of managing senior executive and founder well-being and resilience. The panel was chaired by Rob Hind, Director of People in Law, and he is joined by Professor Peter Kruger, consultant psychologist at Cognacity, Elaine Ahrens, partner in the employment team at Withers, and Joy Deep Hoare, the founder and managing principal of People and Culture Strategies in Australia. And right now, they are going to discuss some of the key themes and highlights of the panel session today. So over to you, Rob. Thank you very much indeed, Harriet. Uh, in the short time available, we'll look at the main triggers, uh, causes of mental health and stress, the obstacles and barriers, and then come out hopefully with some takeaways on proven evidence-based strategies and for dealing with and building personal resilience and reducing stress. So firstly, Peter, if I could turn to you, um, from a clinical psychology perspective, what are the main triggers of stress and mental health in, in the workplace with particular reference to the legal sector? And what are the various differentials between levels of resilience? Thanks, Rob. Um, so, yes, we've been working at the coal face with law firms since 2007 and specifically looking at initially only clinically what sort of fallouts we see. And the first interesting thing is the, the percentage is slightly lower than we see for the UK average, which I think is roughly with the latest stats either one in four or one in five. Um, so we see a slightly smaller number, so we're talking roughly about nine to 12 percent. But that, that's still a very big number if you look at the, the sort of people you work with. It's, it's already a selection from a selection, high-functioning people. Um, so if we look at the, the reasons for referral, um, probably the two largest categories would be work-related stress. The other interesting one was um, to do with personal relationships. So we, we could see that probably the workload of the sort of things people get to deal with is inevitably a reciprocal interaction between these things, one affect the other. Um, when we look closely at the, the work-related stresses, um, we like using a conceptualization model called the job demands, resources, and control model. Just look at the categories where we look for these stresses. Um, from a job demands perspective, clearly working in law firms, the, the workload is usually very high. Um, it means, therefore, it's, it's not just the volume of work, but also the difficulty of the work you get to deal with. And then um, lastly, in that same category of demands, is also the emotional load. So the, the difficult decisions you have to make, the challenging people you have to work with, um, the whole people factor coming in, which is on top of the, uh, the content that you have to deal with. And then we see the resources playing a role. So either having a lack of resources or issues with IT, or it includes employee relationships, it includes things like remuneration, it includes um, the organizational culture. But not only those two factors, the almost missing link in there is also then got to do with the, the control factor. And the higher up you go, sometimes the, the more the workload and the responsibility, but at least the, the better the control. So within this, there will always be individual differences. But um, I think looking at those categories, it helps us to understand where the pressure of work is coming from. And, and dissecting that will help us to devise some strategies mm. to deal with it. Thank you very much. And Joy Deep, just coming to you um, at this point, you, you spoke uh, in the main event uh, about the, the fact that pressures are totally different um, on founders and executives and the fact that stress is not static. It, it, the concept of evolutionary stress you spoke about related to career tra trajectory. Um, 
Could you just uh, sort of uh, expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. So this, this concept of uh, recognising that, that stress is, is not static uh, reflects the fact that um, <clears throat> the things that a person finds stressful in the early stages of their career are not necessarily going to be the same things that they find stressful or challenging as their, as their career progresses. And I think it's, it's important to reflect on... Um, an observation that, that I think applies across organisations globally, which is that in the vast majority of organisations, be they professional services firms or, or otherwise, the, the basis for progression in most of those organisations is by way of reward or recognition for someone having been good or competent or capable, in fact often very capable, um, at the execution of their job previously. So I reward you and promote you now to a management or supervisory role because uh, you have done very well at doing the job that you were doing up to this particular point in time. Now, that's all, all well and good, but, of course, associated with that progression and that heightened level of responsibility within the organisation comes a whole additional <coughs> set of challenges. And uh, to, to Peter's earlier point, it's no surprise that one of the uh, things that executives will observe as being the the greatest challenge for them, having made that progression or step up, is how do I manage people? All of a sudden, I'm meant to still be good at doing my job and executing on all of those particular things, my key deliverables, but now I have to make sure that other people are doing exactly the same thing and I'm, I have to uh, manage them, I have to mentor them, I have to guide them. Um, and there's no rule book around that. Mm. Uh, so it's no surprise that I think that is an area that causes uh, leaders a great deal of stress and, and, and anxiety. And of course, the further up the food chain you go, uh, the, the, the volume, quantum of additional issues that you not only have to deal with but are expected to be adept at dealing with, whether that's uh, handling or being aware or indeed developing organisational strategy, uh, understanding aspects of the organisation's financial circumstances. These, these things are not necessarily a natural skill set for people. And, you know, you can send them off to, to, to programs at business schools and things like that, but that doesn't necessarily alleviate mm. the, 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 the stress for them. Uh, and I think when you're talking about founders, it's, a, it's, it's a, a, an additional suite of stressors as well because it's all of the things that a, a senior executive will have to deal with. And on top of that, it's your livelihood, it's your business. Uh, yeah. I often yeah. make the joke that um, when you're a single business owner, you know, every staple that is used in your business comes out of your, your income. And, uh, well, well, that's an extreme way of putting it, but uh, it, it's understandable that the way you think about everything in your business when it is your business uh, is going to be very different. Mm. Thank you. Elaine, in your experience, what, what are the obstacles and barriers to addressing these issues in the workplace? There's no doubt that there is commercial fear of, of legal consequences versus strategies to achieve effective uh, performance in the workplace. How do, we, how do you reconcile those conflicting issues? Yes, so the, the barriers are different for the executive, obviously, as compared with the employee. Um, I think, uh, obviously, the, the challenge of the day is the always-on culture that we have, um, that there's never a, a, an ability to actually fully switch off. Um, but added to that, there's actually um, uh, an anxiety that people have that the employer won't um, take the condition that they have seriously, that they will regard it as made up. You can't see a mental impairment in the way that you can relate to a physical impairment. Um, and um, the individual both has concerns that the employer won't see it as being um, uh, all that significant, but also the individual often themselves 
um, face a barrier in that they aren't quite sure themselves that their mental impairment is all that significant mm. and they're fearful of raising it for that reason. Um, obviously, there's um, a pride, there's a worry of stigma. Um, I think at senior executive level, a worry that there's a concept that people will never recover f- sufficiently from mental illness to be able to resume the senior executive role and that it will mark their copybook for all time. Um, and I think there are the demands, apart from technology, of modern-day senior executive roles like international travel, uh, which um, are very disruptive to people's sleep patterns, their relationships, and they d- it doesn't seem solvable because they can't see how the job can be done without um, doing that. For the employer, the, the, the obstacles are, are different ones. Um, one is um, actually spotting the warning signs early enough. There are actually legal consequences where an employer reasonably ought to know that somebody is suffering from mental illness. Um, But unfortunately, um, senior managers are very often not sufficiently well-trained to spot these signs and to um, be able to tap into them. And then there's the risk that once you know that there's mental ill health, the employer defaults to only thinking about the legal issues because of the potential size of legal claims, um, because discrimination will always feature as a possible um, aspect of it. Um, I think that um, uh, what we need is to... um, encourage a much more open dialogue between employees and uh, executives and their employers, Um, and one that is real. I think there's a a real sense on the part of individuals that some of the um, sympathy and identification with their situation expressed by employers is actually somewhat false and not genuinely meant, Um, and uh, a belief that ultimately the employer is quite cynical Um, if they're not getting what they want out of the individual and there's a disruption because of mental illness that they won't actually find a way of resolving that and finding a way forward. So I think there's some very important issues Mm. to address. Thank you very much. And finally, as a a panel, um, could I ask you to outline what you have found to be proven evidence-based strategies and techniques to build personal resilience and reduce stress um, and enhance performance and optimise well-being in, in the workforce. And uh, if we could fi- you know, finish off with one, one nugget of uh, pearl of wisdom, one good takeaway to, uh, to leave our listeners with. Can we start with Peter? Yes, gladly. So uh, I think that probably the single most important thing is the ability to control your thinking processes because the the problem is not the situation. It's very often our interpretation of the situation. So controlling the thinking processes, understanding your cognitive biases, um, how we sometimes put unnecessary pressure on ourselves is a big part. And the second bit would be to look at the behaviours, so how we recover and what we do to maximise the time we have available. Because we, we can't just do more. There's, there's only 168 hours in a week. You can't add to that. So being a little bit more efficient and effective in how we do things, I think, will have a, a big role to play in managing stress better. Thank you very much. And Elaine, in, you personally and in, in, in your firm? I would say the answer um, lies in tone from the top. Um, I think that uh, the um, genuine commitment to the well-being of staff Um, the uh, encouraging of uh, genuine storytelling um, in a way that destigmatizes the issue 
um, is a really important aspect of this. Um, and um, encouraging greater participation in those programmes so that uh, the uh, sense that your engagement with it isn't somehow an omission of some weakness on your part, um, but is something that all employees and executives should be doing because that's the right thing to be focusing on. Thank you very much. Enjoy, Deke. Yeah, for me, uh, I know you only asked for one nugget, I'll throw in an additional <laughs> nugget for good measure. But the, uh, the, the, the first one of, of broad application is just being aware of one's personal strengths and weaknesses is, is so important. And, and being able to, to, to genuinely reflect on what are the things that I know are, are going to be my pressure points. Um, and, and being able to apply uh, the, the, the theoretical premises around, around balance and things that have more general application, but tailoring that to yourself, I think, is so important. And you can only really make that effective when you're aware of what your own strengths and weaknesses are. And, and, and the second point, which, which I think just can't ever be emphasised enough, is being able to, to relish failure and understanding that uh, in, to, to, to be successful... Um, it's, it's a long-term game. It's not about your short-term wins all the time, but you, you will, you will uh, suffer some defeats. They may be some significant defeats. And if your approach is going to be that, well, I, I want to have a, a single-minded, it's always going to be successful and there aren't going to be those dips, then I think you're, you're setting yourself up for that long-term failure, whereas if you're embracing short-term failure, it's actually a great strategy. Thank you all very much. Yeah, thank you for all of your um, contributions. That was a really fascinating discussion um, on something that's very topical. Um, to join the International Forum of Senior Executive Advisors or to listen to more podcast recordings of the day, please visit our website, www.cmurray.com forward slash IFSEA.